What you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia, environmental radio show on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP in Philadelphia, and on gtownradio.com. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Planet Philadelphia. I'm Kay Wood, the host and producer. And today we have a full house here, and we're going to be talking about something that is kind of a win on the transition to clean energy that we need to make to deal with climate change that's happened locally. And it's with the 30th Street Amtrak station, but I will let the guests tell you about that. And first, I'd like to start off with asking people to introduce themselves. Uh, sure. I'm Karen Melton. Um, I live in East Falls. I've been in Philadelphia for 40 years. And since I retired about 11 years ago, I've been working pretty much full time as a climate activist. And I volunteer with a number of organizations, including Citizens Climate Lobby, which all of us you're talking to today are part of, and that's how we got involved this campaign with Amtrak. Okay, and who would like to go next? Sure, I can go next. Hi, I'm Keon Monroe. I've been in Philadelphia since 2016. Um, professionally, I work as a GIS software engineer at American Water in Camden, New Jersey. Um, and I've been involved with CCL for a number of years as a interested climate advocate as well. I'm Elaine Foltz. I live in West Philadelphia in University City. Um, I've lived in Philadelphia about 15 years now. And uh, in my previous life, I worked for many years in the U.S. Congress, House of Representatives. And then I did a stint with the United Nations where I worked overseas. I joined CCL about three years ago. And my main reason for joining was I read Bill Gates' book, how to avoid a climate disaster, and he called CCL the most effective federal lobby. And Don, could you tell us about yourself? Sure. I'm a former technology sales guy who had a first career as a math teacher and a long career in technical sales. I've been supporting environmental causes financially for years, and now that I'm semi-retired, I thought I needed to get more active and I joined CCL, uh, and I'm basically involved because I've got two kids and two grandkids, and I am hoping that we can have some impact by working like this. You've all mentioned the Citizens Climate Lobby, so would one of you care to just give a brief description of what that is? Oh, sure. I could do that. Um, so Citizens Climate Lobby, or CCL, is uh, nonpartisan a nonprofit organization. We are specifically focused on climate change solutions and on trying to be effective citizen lobbyists uh, in that effort. We try to have a chapter in every congressional district and in the country, and we're very close to that. And for each member of Congress, we have someone designated as a liaison or primary contact. And then at least uh, twice a year, we have major lobby events. We go in person in June. We have put as many as 1,300 people on the Hill at one time. 
Do you want to tell us about what happened with Amtrak's 30th Street station and their recent decision on their heating system? So last week, the senior management of Amtrak announced the reversal of a decision that they had taken more than a year ago. And that original decision was to change the way that they will heat the 30th Street station. This is part of the large renovation that's going on there now. Uh, Amtrak is currently on the Philadelphia steam loop. For those who haven't heard of the steam loop, this is about 41 miles of pipe under the street and under the sidewalk in Philadelphia that delivers a sort of low-grade uh, steam heat to major office buildings and University of Pennsylvania and other institutions. And both Amtrak and the National Park Service heat their buildings today from the steam loop. But a year or so ago, Amtrak, and even before that, the National Park Service made a decision that they would stop heating with steam and move to on-site gas-fired burners. We, CCL, uh, opposed that decision, arguing that this was exactly the wrong time to make such a move, that it would lock these uh, buildings into dependence on fossil fuels for decades to come. And we, through a, a long process of discussion with Amtrak and with the National Park Service, made these views clear to them. And last week, Amtrak announced a change of plan. They said that in large part as a result of awareness raising by uh, environmental groups in Philadelphia, including us, they were going to not make the move to gas fire. Uh, burners, and they will continue discussing with the steam loop changes that they need in order to use steam to meet their sustainability goals. So, Keon, would you care to talk about the steam loop and why that's preferable to having a gas boiler? Sure. So, um, as Elaine mentioned, uh, the steam loop is what's known as a district energy system. And so the main benefit is that we have central sources of power for um, the network of connected buildings. And sort of the main benefit over individual boilers is um, the energy efficiency that we get from that, from those economies of scale. And a helpful analogy for me is to think about having a central kitchen cook for multiple customers versus having people cook meals on their own using their own equipment. So in this way, we kind of have a, you know, a central process and we're able to kind of maximize the bang for our buck, um, given the resources. I believe right now the steam loop is fueled by gas. Are, are there plans to change that? Also, also another main feature of the steam loop is that it uses combined heat and power, which is also known as cogeneration. So what that means is you're able to get thermal energy steam and also as a byproduct of um, capturing waste heat from all of those connected buildings, you're able to make electricity as well. That's part of the increased efficiency from the steam loop. And yes, it does currently run on gas now, but Vicinity Energy, which is the current owner of the steam loop, has been very vocal about commitments in the future to achieving net zero emissions for all of their operations. So that's promising in terms of 
transitioning all of our buildings to use more renewable energy sources. Okay, I believe one of you mentioned the Park Service earlier. What has their reaction been to the idea of keeping the steam loop? I, I can answer that. We we met with the superintendent of the Park Service almost a year ago in January. Unfortunately, I think there were multiple things going on at the time um, because the superintendent actually retired later in the month of January. So I think she was really not focused on making any changes. And she had already pretty much agreed with PGW's approach because PGW had been talking to her for a while. And they are painting, putting gas as a greener energy alternative. The fact is that we, at this point, have had no really good discussions since January, but we did get to hear her perspective. There has been an interim superintendent since then, and now as of October, there is a brand new superintendent, Stephen Sims. He's got an engineering background, and we're very encouraged that we will have a meeting with him. I've already reached out to him, and he's responded, and we're going to try to have a meeting sometime in the next few months. We'll see how that goes. I could add one thought there. Sure. Uh in, in announcing its change of decision, Amtrak pointed out that it had planned to switch to gas-fired boilers before it developed its sustainability goals, and that our role, our organization and our coalition, our role was to point out that there was an inconsistency between that earlier plan and their sustainability goals, and they took it to heart. And I think a similar situation exists at the National Park Service in that, as Don mentioned, this plan has been in the works for a while prior to President Biden coming out with the administration's sustainability goals. So this might be a point of leverage with the National Park Service that they had an earlier plan and now the administration goals have changed and they need to do a mid-course correction. You, I think, earlier mentioned you had partnered with other organizations to try to affect Amtrak and the National Park Service's plans. Yes, we have, have and uh, there's a there's a list of them. A coalition of thirteen organizations. We sent a letter to Amtrak and to the National Park Service that was signed by thirteen coalition members. So do you think partnering with other organizations like that is more effective than taking it on by yourselves? Yes, absolutely. I think that one of the ways that we got um, the attention of Amtrak was to deliver a letter from 13 organizations. They had what they called a listening session in which they invited several, but not all of the organizations to participate. And we took that occasion to deliver a letter from all 13 and to ask that others have their voices heard because, of course, different organizations come at this from different perspectives. And even though Amtrak never did have that second meeting, I think that the letter made the point that there was broad-based support in the Philadelphia environmental communities for urging them to, to think again about this. Are there other lessons you'd like to share? Well, <laughs> yes, I, I did think of something else I'd like to say about that. I think that it was helpful that we communicated 
with Amtrak in a number of ways. The letter, the coalition was one important thing. The in-person discussion that we had was important. We also developed a moveon.org petition to both Amtrak and the National Park Service. And we advertised for signatories for that, both within our organizations and, and in the broader community. But I think the very most important thing with the benefit of hindsight was communication with Amtrak through the media because Amtrak is seeking to position itself as a green alternative to other more carbon intensive forms of travel. And I think that uh, having an open quarrel with the environmental community was not something that they really wanted to do. So there was a critical moment when I look back on it, when the Clean Air Council had an op-ed piece in the Enquirer opposing at the Amtrak and National Park Service decisions. And we followed up supporting the CAC with a letter to the editor. And within just three or four days, there was another letter to the editor from the Amtrak vice president, Dennis Newman, who said Amtrak was going to listen to environmental groups and they were going to review their decision and they were going to communicate uh, this and make a decision that was in keeping with their sustainability goals. So it took a long time for that to happen. And we had to remind them on several occasions. But I think that communicating through the media with a more public audience was a very important part of, of our discussion with them. Do you have other lessons you might share with people who want to be active? I'll, I'll mention a few things. Definitely, we realized that it was important to not give up. Because I think that over the course of more than a year, maybe going on a year and a half, where it seemed like our efforts were not seeing any results. I think we were getting pretty discouraged. I would always tell people who are working on such issues, don't, don't give up. And as Elaine talked about, use all the different channels you can think of. And what were you going to say, Don? I was going to say that there is so much information on climate and climate change. The thing that I think is useful is to get more of that information out to the public. And I, I'm pleased to see that you have a, a radio station doing that, as well as uh, other places where you can read about the climate. And it's even in business publications, such as Barron's and the New York Times and the, the Wall Street Journal. and there is no doubt that people are taking it more seriously. The other point I would like to mention is that Citizens Climate Lobby has done so much research. And one of the research things that they've come out with is the fact that 70% of the public in this country is concerned about the climate. People might want to find out more about this. How would they do that? Citizensclimatelobby.org is one, one way. And um, if they want to contact our local chapter, um, they can email us at cclphilly at gmail.com. So we certainly welcome people to join us in our lobby meetings and helping to become citizen lobbyists. Anyone else care to step in at this point? I'd like to just make one more quick point, and that is I think it would be mistaken for us to represent this as we convinced Amtrak. Uh, 
Um, this reversal occurred because there were people inside Amtrak who took climate uh, and global warming seriously and who were well-placed and in a position to influence the organization. And we knew about them. And because we knew about them, we kept at them and we felt like we hoped that our messages through the media would empower people within Amtrak to um, influence others who weren't yet convinced. So it was really a decision within Amtrak, and we think we helped the good guys inside. Anything else anyone like to say? Thank you for covering this. This is uh, it's a, it's a great service. Happy to do it. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Town Radio programming by going to gtownradio.com. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support.